Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Lucas Stock. And I'm Jens Nelson. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Today, once again, we come to the end of the work week for many people, most people. I yeah, I mean, stats on unless that. like you're taking holiday, I mean, I know a ton of people that took three days off this week and then have a three-day weekend because of the holiday See, that's on a, Memorial Day. That's respect. I should have done that. Uh, today is Friday, regardless of whether or not you're still working. And that means it's another Christians of History installment as we rapidly come to the end of Martyr May. This will be the last... Uh, Martyr May themed month episode will be this final Christian or Martyr of History. And for today's installment, Jensen is going to share with us the story of someone who you quite possibly have heard at least his name before. You, you know, if you grew up in circles like, like we did, you probably have also heard his story. However, I am always surprised, even when we do Christians of History that are people I think I know a lot about, I have always been surprised at something that comes up or something I find when researching or listening. So even if you think you know the story of today's martyr slash Christian of history, I would still encourage you to tune in because I think there's probably going to be something that we're going to learn together today. So without further ado, would you please share with us the story of Jim Elliott? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, technically it is a story of other martyrs as well. He wasn't the only one. I think he was just, you know, the most well-known and he gets talked about the most. Um, plus the people that came after him who were related to him also did quite a bit of work. But what's what's really interesting and, and something that I hadn't really thought about until um, preparing this episode, um, but anything that we know about his martyrdom comes from the people that martyred him. And that'll like that'll make more sense as we go because... I won't say any more until we, in case you haven't heard the story, I won't ruin it, but um, I just wanted to get that out of the way at the outset. Like there seems to be, at least from what I was reading, some, even some little conflicting details that weren't a hundred percent accurate. So I don't know if that was just different people telling a different story, or maybe some of the sources didn't have the accurate story. I'm not sure. Maybe that's for you to decide, but I'm going to tell this story. So um, this is Philip James Elliot, or better known as, as Jim Elliot. Uh, he was born October 8th, 1927. So we're coming up pretty quickly here, six years uh, from his, what would be his 100th, uh, 100th birthday. Uh, but he was born in Portland, Oregon. Shout out to Portlandia if we have any listeners there. Um, his parents were Fred and Clara Elliot. Uh, Fred was actually of Scottish heritage. Um, his grandparents um, were actually the first in the family to settle in North America. And Clara's parents moved um, near the turn of the 20th century, and they moved from Switzerland to eastern Washington, where they operated a large ranch. So, you know, Jim Elliott is the grandchild of, of immigrants who, who came from um, <clears throat> Scotland and Switzerland. So, you know, both European countries, and uh, that, that those played a big role in forming who he was. Um, in 1941... Um, and again, some of these dates, it, it's, it, this is a recent story. We're, you know, we're not talking about 27, you know, 127 AD or something. Um, but in 1941, you know, World War II is going on. Uh, Elliot entered Benson Polytechnic High School. 
where he had an emphasis in studying architectural drawing, which I didn't know high schools could have an emphasis. That just seems a little premature or something, but that was his, that was his emphasis, architectural drawing. Uh, and in this school, he participated in many activities, including newspaper, wrestling team, school plays, and um, the public speaking club. Uh, so a pretty well-rounded student, uh, did a lot of activities outside of school. Um, but his acting ability led some of the teachers in his school to actually suggest that he pursue a career as an actor. Um, and similarly, his or um, oratorical um, skills, I guess, were also highly praised um, because he even used his speaking ability regular, regularly. Uh, apparently, a, a classmate of his recounts how Eliot quoted the Bible to the president of the student body. Um, as an explanation for his refusal to attend a school party. Um, so like apparently there's you know there's this story of him kind of giving a, an oration, this little speech um, and, and quoting the Bible when asked like why he w- wouldn't go to a school party, which like in my head just seems like this little um, you know innocent kid trying to, trying to explain why he doesn't want to go drinking and you know sleeping around, which maybe that's what it was, but it's just like funny to picture this happening in the 40s for some reason. It seems more like, docile. I don't know. Anyway, that's I, I digress. Um, but another time, Elliot risked expulsion uh, from the public speaking club uh, by refusing to give a political speech. So like imagine anytime you've ever taken a public speaking course, uh, you know, you have certain like, you know, a persuasive one or an informational one, or um, here's one where you explain steps to do something or, or, or whatever. Uh, but he was asked to give a political speech. Um, but he refused and faced expulsion because he believed that Christians were not to involve themselves in politics. Full stop. Let's let's just pause and think about that one for a minute. In 1940, in the 1940s, 1940s America, you know, the, the, in the middle of World War Good II and Anabaptist. Right. I mean, that's, it's a very, it's a very interesting dynamic to think about. Um, but uh, after high school, he enrolled at Wheaton College, uh, right down the road from Moody, where Lucas and I went. And that was in the fall of 1945, and he graduated four years later as a Bible major with the highest honors. I, too, am a Bible major. Uh, I did not have the highest honors. I think those went to Lucas. But um, uh, on February 2nd, 1952, so just a few years later, um, after after some time preparing to, to be a missionary, uh, Jim Elliott waved goodbye to his parents and, and boarded a ship for an 18-day <clears throat> trip um, from San, San Pedro, California to Quito, Ecuador in, in South America. Um, that sounds like a long trip to, to be taking a boat from California to, to Ecuador. Um, but he and his missionary partner, Pete Fleming, uh, first spent a year in Quito learning to speak Spanish. I mean, understandably. Um, and then they moved to Sandija, which was a small um, Quechua you know, native village um, and really, they were they were trying to take the place of a retiring missionary, and so it was here that that Jim and Pete studied hard to learn the language, to fit in, to uh, to understand the culture, and their hard work ended up paying off because in six months they were both speaking Spanish and speaking well enough to actually move to Shandia, and um, when they arrived there, um, uh, they also had to learn the speech of the Quechuas. Uh, uh, um, so again, these are, these are tribes in Ecuador. Um, some of them, you know, probably have been around for, for thousands of years, but, 
um, Spanish speaking. Many of them didn't actually know um, Christianity or the gospel really. So this is the the work that these men are setting out to do to continue um, in the place of a, a missionary who had retired. But um, three years later, many of the Quichuas had become faithful Christians. So the, their work, again, was paying off, paying dividends. And uh, Jim began to feel it was time to tell the, I think it's uh, uh, Akas about Jesus. Uh, I, I'm so sorry if I butcher like some of these, um, some of these names, but um, there was a, a, a people group that was close by. I'm just going to call them the Akas. Um, but this, this people group had actually been killing many of the Quichuas. Um, they had, they had also killed self, several workers at an oil, um, an oil company drilling site near their territory. And it got so bad actually that the, the oil company closed because everyone was afraid to work there. Um, so this is just kind of showing you how, how, um, aggressive these people were, how, how dangerous they were perceived to be, um, and Jim thought, figured that the only way to stop the Akas from killing was to tell them about Jesus, to, um, to allow them to hear the message of the gospel, reconciliation, redemption. Um, so Jim and the four other Ecuador missionaries uh, began to plan a way, I guess. Uh, it was, a, I don't want to say a ploy because that sounds devious, but it was, it was a plan to show that, the, um, that this group of people was friendly, that the Akas could, could trust them. And so this next little bit actually comes from an article that I found. I, I didn't want to, like, there, again, th this is such a, a very, it's a detailed story. I didn't want to miss any details. So I'm basically going to be quoting verbatim from an article that I found in Christianity.com that talks about what happened here. So um, so, so bear, bear with me. I'll tell you when these quotes are done. But uh, Nate Saint, a missionary supply pilot, came up with a way to lower a bucket filled with supplies to the people on the ground while flying above them. So again, uh, these missionaries are trying to make contact, show that they're friendly to the Akas. Um, he thought that this would be the perfect way to win the trust of the Akas without putting anyone in danger. They began dropping gifts to them. They also used an amplifier to speak out friendly Akka phrases. After many months, the Akas even sent a gift back up in the bucket to the plane. So Jim and the other missionaries felt the time had come to meet the Akas face to face. One day, flying over Akka territory, Nate Saint spotted a beach that looked long enough to land the plane on. He planned to land there, and the men would uh, build a, a treehouse, basically, to stay safe until friendly contact could be made. Uh, so the missionaries were flown in one by one and dropping off, um, and were dropped off uh, on the Akka beach. So Nate Saint then flew over the Aka village and called for the Akas to come to the beach where the other four had been. Um, after four days, an Aka man and two women appeared. It was not easy for them to understand each other since the missionaries only knew a few Aka phrases. They shared a meal with them and Nate took the man up for a flight in the plane. The missionaries tried to show sincere friendship and asked them to bring others next time they came. For the next two days, the missionaries waited for the other Akas to return. Finally, on day six, two Akka women walked out of the jungle. Jim and Pete excitedly jumped in the river and waded over to them. As they got closer, these women did not appear friendly. Jim and Pete almost immediately heard a terrifying cry behind them, and as they turned, they saw a group of Akka warriors with their spears raised, ready to throw. Uh, Jim Elliott reached for a gun in his pocket, uh, he had to decide instantly if he should use it or not, uh, but 
he knew he couldn't. Each of the missionaries had promised they would not kill an Aka who did not know Jesus um, to save himself from being killed. Uh, within seconds, the Aka warriors threw their spears, killing all of the missionaries. So Ed McCulley, Roger uh, Yodurian, Nate Saint, Nate Saint, Pete Fleming, and Jim Elliott. And the date was January 8th, 1956. Um, so that's sort of the end of, of that long quote, sort of recounting what took place. Um, this, this story of, of these missionaries trying to make contact with an unreached people group, um, one that was um, considered to be dangerous, one that was considered to be hostile. Um, and they, they did everything that they thought that they could to, to make friendly contact. I mean, even bringing one up in a plane. Um, which just seems, you know, that's, that's a, that's, to, I mean, I, I'm sure many of the people listening haven't been missionaries, especially to a people group like this, but to, to have somebody from this tribe, you know, up in the plane, I'm sure this person had never even thought once in their life that they would ever be in an airplane. Um, but you almost wonder like what happened when those people went back to their tribe? What did they explain? How did they, you know, how did they plot? How did they plan? Um, and, and, and some, again, when, when I mentioned in the beginning that we, what we know about this account comes from the people that were there who, who was there we had the akas and the missionaries every single missionary passed away so the fact that we know this story comes from the aka people and if if you if you're familiar with this story you'll actually know that wasn't it like the wives of of some of the men who um went back years later and some of those akas actually gave their lives to christ became christians themselves and um you know that's how we learned about all of this yeah, I, I don't think they went back. I think they just never left. Oh, okay, so they were they were there. And yeah, um, my understanding. I don't know about all of them, but I think Nate Saint's wife. I, I don't know her name, and, and Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot's wife. My, I, I believe they just they stayed. They they decided to stay to continue working, and so without, just like without Jim and Nate and and the others, also without their wives deciding wives and families deciding to continue um then we wouldn't know the story because we wouldn't have continued to or they wouldn't have continued to have contact with um the people who were there to know right. the story and then eventually through you know the spirits working to have that relationship as as they gave their lives to christ and everything yeah. um it's, I mean, one of the interesting it's things... It's remarkable. Yeah, and, and one of the interesting things that, that... One of the points that I noticed that might have been a conflict, um, this story that I read mentioned that Jim drew his gun but didn't fire. But, like, another story that I read said that he drew his gun and tried to fire a warning shot but hit one of the Aka um, people. And, again, I don't know what which account is the, the accurate one, which one represents what actually took place, but um, I guess it, it just kind of... That's an example of, you know, in, in this sort of environment, even the, the perception of what is happening can sometimes be difficult to then piece back together. But um, basically, the, it, this story, it, it's, it's a profound one. I mean, we're, we're talking about men who, who made contact with people that were unreached, um, did make contact, were, were martyred, were killed for their faith. Um, and then this story, like you're saying, uh, their, their wives continued their work, um, made considerable advancements and led people to the Lord. Um, and then, I mean, I'm sure people in this group today are probably still bearing fruit because of what was planted here by these men. Um, and it's it, Jim Elliott, I think, has a legacy that even he probably wouldn't want to 
carry on. Like, I'm sure he was a man humble enough to be like, well, I don't want people celebrating and praising me. It's not about what I did or what I've done. Um, and I think that might be best summed up in a journal entry of his from October 28th, 1949. So a few years before becoming a missionary, um, he expresses his belief that um, work dedicated to Jesus was more important than his life. So like to, to dedicate one's life to Christ is way more important than, you know, whatever worldly achievements I could aspire to. And he quoted Luke 9, 24, that for whoever will save his life shall lose it. But who, whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Uh, he wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Um, and then he follows the journal entry with a citation of Luke 16, 9, uh, that uh, quote, that when it shall fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Um, so just, he, he seemed to be a man who had this heavenly, um, this heaven word um, mindset of, of, um, of preaching the gospel, of declaring uh, the good news of Christ, of dedicating one's life to that cause and to, um, to do that, whatever the cost. And in, in his case, somewhat prophetically, that's what ended up happening, that um, he, he lost his life in the act of, of witnessing to a people. Um, so that's, that's the, the story, at least um, the, the, you know, the best that I could tell of, of Mr. Jim Elliott and the four other uh, Ecuadorian missionaries. That's awesome. I have sort of a, a font, like a familial attachment to this story in a way. Um, so I grew up hearing this story and I was, you know, it was one of like the most significant martyr stories that I'd heard just in terms of the amount of times. But um, it turns out that, so Il my wife, Elaine, her dad grew up in Ecuador because her grandparents were missionary pilots or her grandpa was a missionary pilot. Um, and they, they served in Honduras and Ecuador and around. And, uh, her grandpa was actually involved in finding and recovering the plane that they flew in to that beach that day. And so because because he was he was like involved in that, so they made a movie tip of the spear or end of the spear or something like that. Um, and like because he was involved, like they used the the actual plane, I think like they maybe they restored it or maybe hmm. they just showed it in the movie. Um, so because he helped to find it, they got to go um, like to the movie set. And so uh, there's a picture. I, I don't know where it is. Maybe we can put it on social media if, if I can get Elaine to find it. But um, uh, there's a picture of Elaine at the set of Tip of the Spear with Ming Kai, one of the warriors who was there that day. That is insane. Who, who you know, Christ grafted into himself, into his church. And it's so... Who I think he, just a couple of years ago, maybe even just... as. Like he, he very recently he died. He was super old, hmm. but um, but so it's just like crazy. Yeah, like, that's incredible. Just, it's it's kind of a fun thing, like when I think of the story because yeah. um, it's uh, it's quite a story, and it's it's one that I just remember hearing so often growing up. Um, that I feel like it is sort of within American Protestantism. It seems to be one of those stories that's sort of part of our culture. Yeah, you know, our our church culture, our little slice of of american christianity so we're not so little i guess but um it's it's just it's such like you said it's such a powerful story and the the 
to, to see, you know, it's a fitting way to wrap up Martyr Month. I think we talked in that first episode about Tertullian's quote, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Mm. Um, and I think that a story like this where that is literally playing out, you know, yeah, not it's not rare, but but this is a story, an example of that idea. Well, like with know, with the other fruit. with the other martyrs that we've talked about, you don't see the fruit as evidently. I mean, you see someone pass away, and maybe it emboldens the church that already exists, but you don't necessarily see the fruit of those who weren't Christians that were changed and transformed. But in this case, in this story, you see blood spilled. And you can see direct fruit that is born yeah. out of the work that they did and then the wives that carried it on afterwards. You can see, I mean, you're saying that right. your wife met the fruit of Jim Elliott and Elizabeth Elliott and all these people's work. That's, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. But, yeah. And, and it, it is a testament to the testimony that, um, that, and the, and the, the gift, uh, that martyrdom is to the church and to the world as a result of the spirits working through, through that witness, um, those witnesses, uh, witnessing in that way. And, and so I think, I think, like I said, I think it's a good way to wrap up martyr month, um, is a, is a story like Jim Elliott's and, and the others. And, um, thank you for sharing and, and doing the, doing the research and everything. And, and hopefully martyr month was, was was fun was interesting was edifying um especially some of some of our, our our first couple episodes i hope they maybe gave you a chance to maybe uh rethink uh certain things about martyrdom or or certain things about different periods of of history in the church that you haven't necessarily thought about much before or didn't know much about before um, hopefully you learned some new stories of people who have gone before us in the faith and, and witnessed to Christ to the, to the final end. Um, and yeah, you know, I look forward to, we talk about a lot how, how, um, these themed months are, are super fun to do. Hopefully, um, hopefully there's, uh, you know, something new that we can do soon as far as a, a good theme. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just, I feel like, uh, this is a good, a good end, not only to today's Christians slash martyr of history, but also to, to this month of martyr month. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say to kind of wrap up or, um, what we'll do then is wrap up. So once again, thanks for tuning in this month. If you have, especially to today's episode and listening to, um, the doxology podcast, if you'd like to connect with us. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast. And you can also reach us by email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear feedback, questions, ideas for future episodes, Christians of history, themes we can do, topics we can talk about, um, all that stuff. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, we'll see you.